With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 6, Episode 19, which was titled, What Are We Missing? In this episode, we heard directly from Liz Rose, who told us the story of when she found out about her father's murder, her trip home, and all of her interactions with the police and the district attorney's office. And of course, as always, this episode has generated a lot of questions, so we do have Liz Rose on the line with us today. So let's go ahead and get right into it. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get going on the questions, I have a recommendation for you guys, and... Uh, this isn't a paid advertisement or anything like that, but I was talking to Jim Clementi the other day. He's helping me work on a crime scene reconstruction. And during our conversations, he mentioned to me that he has just created, along with the rest of his team, a new Audible original, which, to be honest with you, I didn't even know what it really was. But basically, what he's put together is what amounts to a six-hour podcast with no advertisements that you can get directly on Audible, as though you were downloading an audiobook. And the title of it is called Evil Has a Name, and it is freaking amazing. I decided to give it a listen just because Jim's my friend and I wanted to listen to what he did. But 10 minutes into this Audible original, I was absolutely hooked. And I came right in here and I played some up for Mike to hear it. Yeah, the story and the scoring were amazing. Yeah, you can really tell that Jim is a TV writer because he actually wrote most of the series, I think. And you can almost feel the scenes changing. We hear from law enforcement that worked on the oh and by the way it's about the golden state killer and how he was apprehended and so we hear from uh law enforcement officers that worked the investigation way back when we hear from victims who survived the golden state killer back when he was known as the east area rapist and the original night stalker uh and it just it just jumps from scene to scene the sound quality is incredible the musical scoring is awesome it's just 
believe me, if you're looking for something to listen to, if you've got a long flight or drive over the holidays, Evil Has a Name on Audible is a fantastic binge. I'm about two and a half hours into it right now, and I'm just looking for any opportunity to listen to it. So that just has nothing to do with the episode. I just I know you guys on the fan page a lot of time are looking for recommendations. This is my recommendation is for you to listen to Evil Has a Name on Audible. And I also know that some of you are probably asking if we have a code for Audible. Uh, we haven't had Audible as a sponsor for a while. They usually buy short campaigns. We did have audible.com slash truth, uh, which would get you a free audiobook with the subscription. I do not know if that's still valid or not, but you can try that. Uh, but if you're already an Audible listener, or if you're not, go ahead and go get on Audible and check out Evil as a Name because it's awesome. It's freaking awesome. All right. And with that, let's go ahead and start these questions up. Our first question comes from Lauren. I know it was a few years ago now, but did Liz save any of the listings she found for the tools that looked suspicious? On a related note, is there a way on eBay or Craigslist to report items you believe to be stolen? Liz, I know you shared with me and I believe the lawyers and law enforcement back then email that you had sent to, I think, was that email? Did you send that to your lawyer about the Craigslist ad? No, I sent that straight to Juice and Carousel. Okay, right. And so that had a link in it. Of course, it's it's an old ad and it's dead now. And as far as we know, the law enforcement never did anything with that. But you did a little research on your own, didn't you? Yeah. Um, I think after I didn't get any reply from the detectives about those ads, I did give it to the very first lawyer that we had retained. And he was able to use uh, whatever service he used for a background check, he was able to trace back the phone number that was listed in the account or in the ad. I think they called it a couple of times, and the person that answered um, had a similar name to one of the suspects, uh, and then the number was shortly taken off of the ad after that. Okay, I didn't realize that. I knew that there was, that at some point the, the phone number had been taken off the ad, and then I think the number, was the number shut off at some point? It was just a burner phone. Okay. So it was like a a, a Go phone or whatever, um, disposable phone, basically. And, and so was that information passed on to the police? Yeah. Yeah, that was passed on for a second time through the lawyer. And again, there was no response. Okay. This one comes from a different Lauren. Were the tools that were on Craigslist unique? How did Liz know they were her dad's or might have been her dad's? She says, I come from a household where we have the most basic tools that a lot of people have. So the ad had, I think it was three different tools in it. One was like a nail gun and another was, I think it was a miter saw that had like laser sights on it. And I can't remember what the third one was, but they were all different brands and they were all the same tool and the same brand of tool that my dad owned. And I know what he owned just because I used to spend hours in the garage with him when he was, you know, tinkering around or building something. Right. And I think it's fair to say that we don't know for certain that those were your dad's tools, but it was certainly, it, to me, what I see is the only person that was investigating this case was you. Because like I said, that, that lead may have turned out to be nothing. They may have been someone else's tools besides your dad. It's not like he's the only one that owned that combination of tools in the world. But the fact that the police didn't bother to look into it at all is the most frustrating part because that could have been a legitimate lead that could have led to the killer. Right. You know, I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just trying to do the best I can to find something that would lead us somewhere. 
And, you know, it was suspicious that these three very expensive power tools were being sold for, I think it was like $200 for the lot. If the police had just looked into it, then we would have had a better idea whether it was an actual lead or whether it was just, you know, a coincidence. Yeah. And I actually looked back through the emails and I believe it was $180 and it was pretty ridiculous. I want to say it was like a Bostitch nailer and uh, Makita skill saw. I mean, they were all brand name nice tools and $180 would be what maybe one of them might have gone for. Right. All right. Karen says, Hey guys, I would like to go back to the Xboxes. Could Liz identify from where the Xboxes had been removed? As Bob pointed out in the living room, there were bare cables hanging out of the TV console. Yeah. So, I mean, I can answer part of that. The, the There were two Xboxes. The black Xbox that was found in the backpack in the garage is the one that was stored in the living room. And then the white Xbox, you said, Liz, was yours. And where was that normally kept? Um, so that was kept next to one of the nightstands, sort of underneath the bed. But the way everything was set up is that it was easily, I don't know how to describe it. It was a platform bed. You could see under it. And that's where the Xbox was. You're talking about in your bedroom. Oh, yeah. Sorry. In my bedroom. Yeah. Where um, I know there are some photos and there's a photo of the nightstands that had been opened that had the games, the Xbox games in them. Mm-hmm. And it was right next to that. Okay. And did you realize right away that that Xbox was also missing? Uh, no, not right away because um, a lot of the things that had been on the bed, like the sheets and I don't know, there were some bits and pieces. Um, they, they had all been thrown on the floor. Okay. And I've been meaning to ask you too, when you and your husband were visiting a few months before this, did either of you play the Xbox during that trip? How long had it been since you you had played it? It had been a while because, uh, you know, like I had said before, I had to send the Xbox into Microsoft for, they had a little recall and they offered to fix certain models for free. But even after I got it back, it just, it didn't play correctly. And so it just kind of ended up on the side or underneath the bed. So we wouldn't have gotten it out because we wouldn't have been able to play it. So how long ago was it when you sent it in for the repair in comparison to when your dad was murdered? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, are we talking months or years? Maybe a year. Okay. Why Was that while you were still living in the United States? Yeah. Okay. And how long had you been living in Europe? Two years then. So yeah, it must have been two year, you know, a little over two years. Okay. So then that comes back to the idea of the, the Xbox games. And I'm sorry, I'm asking more questions of Liz than the listeners are asking of us, but hopefully they'll, they'll have these same questions. But the Xbox games that were found, like the Games of War, I think was the the one that had the unknown male DNA in it. Gears of War. Gears of War? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so Gears of War that had the unknown male DNA in it in the backpack in the garage. First of all, was that one of your games that would have been kept in your bedroom? Yes. So you, it would have been at least two years since you had played that game? Yeah, I hadn't even... I mean, I had been home, but you know, when I was home, I wasn't playing on the Xbox, I was usually visiting family or friends and the Xbox just didn't play well. It would just, it would skip too much to actually watch a movie or play a game. Okay. And then I guess my last question on that is because the, you know, the prosecutor alluded to the fact that this could be your husband's DNA because they didn't have his profile. Did your husband ever play that game? Is that a possibility? No, we had, um, so he had his own Xbox in England and we had that game in England. So whenever we wanted to play, we would just play in England. Okay. So to your knowledge, did he ever 
touch that Xbox game that was in that backpack? No, not to my knowledge. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, Christine has some info on how to track the missing Xbox. She says, I know something about tracking the Xbox. What we need is its MAC address. It's a unique number that any internet-capable device has. The receipt does not have this on it, but Microsoft should be able to look it up based on the serial number. It is then possible to look up at what IP address that Mac accesses the internet, but I don't know how to do that. Just thought I'd let you know that that's the information you need. Okay, Bob, this is some good info, and I know you've been in contact with some listeners about the Xbox. Can you give us an update on this? Yeah, so that information from what I've got from some other sources is exactly right. We've got a couple of options. One of them, we actually had a listener who is I think a store manager at GameStop who actually took the serial number and was able to plug it into their system to see if that game had been sold, uh, that console had been sold at any GameStop around the country. And we were pretty excited about it and they plugged it in and it brought no results, which for those of you that don't know GameStop, it's a gaming type store where they, you can buy new stuff, but they also do a lot of reselling. So they'll, they'll purchase. That's right, right? Mike, you're more familiar than me. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, so the, they'll, they'll buy used items and then sell used items. And it came back and said that there was it hadn't been sold in at a GameStop, but then they looked a little further. I think they asked their manager, and they said that the system would only look back so far, and it wouldn't go back as far as 2013. But they said they may be able to do that with you know one of the higher ups. So we're working on that. Uh, and then also had another listener who has a good friend that works with Microsoft, put us in contact with them, and they said basically what this listener here said that they can track through the Mac ID or the MAC address, which they can get to from the serial number. But this isn't something we tried for those, because a lot of people suggest that we go to the Xbox account, the Xbox Live account. Right. Yeah, to see. And and Mike did a lot of work on that the other day after Liz remembered her password, or we reset her password. (laughs) Um, But we we were able to log in to see any activity, and that didn't work. And and what we were looking for there was to see if the Xbox had uh, the auto-login feature set up. So when you'd go online, it would automatically log into Liz's account. And that would be very easy to track. But what we found was that Liz's Xbox Live account was expired years, a couple of years before the Xbox was stolen. So that wouldn't have been an auto login. So what would have happened is if someone did steal it, sell it, buy it, whatever, and you know they turned it on and they reset it, then they would they could log it in and try to log into the internet and then create a new account or log into a different account. But what we're looking for is the IP address of any place where that Xbox logged into the internet. And what we found from Microsoft is that they do have that information. With the serial number, they can track 
the MAC address and and look anywhere where that Xbox was ever logged into the internet. And you know that may not that doesn't necessarily mean if we find you know say in 2013 in January somebody logged into the internet with that Xbox that that's our killer, but it's a breadcrumb. It's it's a starting. We're just looking for a starting point. Number one, it would be pretty clear evidence that the Xbox was in fact stolen. Uh, but also, you know, maybe we go find that person and they say, I don't know, I bought this Xbox from this pawn shop. And then we can go to that pawn shop. The pawn shop would have records of who sold the Xbox to them, so on and so forth. So it's kind of a breadcrumb thing. But the problem is Microsoft will not give that information out to anyone other than law enforcement. So you can, even though you, even though Liz owns that Xbox or owned that Xbox and has the emails with the serial number and the receipt and stuff like that. If she took that to Microsoft, they wouldn't help her with that. They could only do it with law enforcement. So this is where, you know, the end of the episode, Liz asked, you know, I asked her what she wanted to do or what she wanted out of the current district attorney is to look at the case objectively and actually look at the case and investigate it. This is a place where, in my mind, the Harris County DA's office can redeem themselves. As I've said last week, we beat up on them pretty good about a lot of things. But at some point, we've got to start stop looking behind us and start looking forward. And this is a place where, through Liz's attorneys, if the Harris County DA's office is willing to actually seek the truth, they can request for law enforcement to file a warrant, and they have the ability to go to Microsoft with this information to see if that device has ever been connected to the internet. All right, and along the lines of tracking IP addresses, in an email, listener Pamela wrote that Craigslist tracks posters via their IP address. And that would include any responders to ads. Can we look into this? We can, but I think we're going to be right about the same situation as we would be with the Xbox, meaning that Craigslist very likely does track that information. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm assuming that's probably true. But I also don't think they're going to just, you know, if Bob Ruff calls them and says, hey, I want the IP address for who posted this, they're not going to give it to me. That would be, have to be something that have to come from law enforcement, which at that process would have to start with the DA's office. To do that. And and again, that's another lead. It's another breadcrumb. The issue we have with the tools with the Craigslist ad is we don't know 100% that those were for sure Jim's tools, but it could be a breadcrumb where we could find out. You know, if we could find out, maybe we track down the, the person and, you know, they tell us where they got them. You know, maybe they, you know, somebody sold them to them or whatever, or they can show us, no, these were my tools. I bought them here and here or whatever. But yeah, it, all of these types of things have to come from law enforcement. Richard says, there are some people who say that the missing TV is on the shelf in a picture of the office. I was wondering if Liz could tell us if it is a TV or, as I strongly suspect, a computer monitor. And then Richard shared a picture of what looks like maybe a TV in the office on the fan page. Yeah, so I, I already, I, we've had this conversation and I already know the answer, but I'll let Liz kind of explain it. But what he's talking about, uh, Richard had shared this picture, in the crime scene photos of the office, there's like a big... Uh, like old tube TV, and then like on a shelf behind it, there's a small, what looks like it could be a small flat screen TV. But first of all, it's not 32 inches. It's like maybe a 19 inch type monitor. But in Liz, you can explain to them what was that on the shelf behind the TV in the office? I'm pretty sure that that was just a small TV because the 55 inch TV that you see there, the rear projection TV, it had gone out and it quit working for a while. And I'm not sure why they hadn't gotten rid of it yet. I mean, I think it was because um, sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't. But yeah, they just had that TV in the office to have on whenever they were working in there. Right. And you, as was mentioned in the episode, 
provided the manual and the receipts for the 32-inch TV that was missing from the bedroom, and that was not the TV that was in that office, correct? Right. They were different brands, and they weren't even the same size, as you've already mentioned. Alexis says, will you have an episode breaking down and analyzing the appellate brief? Yeah, so we're working on that. I can update you a little bit on it now. So the appellate brief that was filed two weeks ago now was a massive document. So it was, it was huge. I think it was 300 and some odd. Do you remember the exact page number, Liz? It was over 300. Yeah, all I know is over 300. Sorry. Yeah, and, and it was, I can tell you it was over 97,000 words. Uh, and I can tell you that because it was rejected by the appellate court and sent back, which to my understanding was not a surprise. There were so many issues with the trial that in the direct appeal, in order for the Seacrests to address every single one of them thoroughly, it ended up being, like I said, well over 300 pages. But there is a limit of 15,000 words with the Court of Appeals where it's being sent. And so the hope was, I think they filed a motion along with it requesting extra length for the brief itself. So they were hoping that they would just approve that and accept it as is. Uh, but they also said they were, you know, if it got sent back, then they would just have to condense it. And we found I found out yesterday, which was Tuesday of this week when we we're recording this, that it was, in fact, rejected. And they were given one month, I believe. So they were given till January 17th uh, in order to condense it down to 15,000 words, which is going to be a very difficult task. And so the plan was to have Mac or Allison, um, it sounded like it was probably going to be Mac, come on the show and explain the brief to everybody. However, now he has one month on top of his other caseload to try to rewrite a 97,000-word brief into a 15,000-word brief. So uh, I'm assuming he's going to be pretty busy over the next month and probably won't be on the show itself. So we will be covering it. It may be the first episode we do right out of the gate in next year because speaking of which and i'll mention this again at the end of the episode but we are off next week for christmas um so there'll be no episodes next week but uh, when we come back for the episode that's going to drop on the uh whatever day that is january 6th i think yeah january 6th episode will probably be the one where we go over the appellate brief i'll, I'll break it down and, and go through the main points of it but it is long uh, and is available on Harris County's website if you want to read it. But So that's kind of where we're at with all of that. Summer says, can we revisit the irregularities in the family interviews about where Sandy was found? Yeah, so I think that they were probably referring to Marissa's interview the most because she said that Sandy was in the bathroom. She was tied up in the bathroom. And of course, Sandy was tied up in a closet that was in the bathroom. My feelings on it were either a couple of different things. Number one, it was just either she was just considering the closet to be part of the bathroom or didn't realize it was a, it was its own separate room because she saw the door there. I don't know. I, I kind of got the feeling, and Liz, you might know the answer to this, uh, that Marissa had probably never been into your parents' master suite and master bathroom before and didn't really know what it looked like back there. Right. And, you know, I mean, she was incredibly traumatized by all of that. She was She was in shock. So I know there are parts that are just a blur to her. And there are things she said that she just got completely wrong and she doesn't even know why why things came out the way they did because she knows the you know the facts of the situation. But no, she had um she'd never been in their room before. Sarah says this might be a question for Liz. In hindsight, does Sandy regret refusing medical care after being rescued? She says, I keep thinking if she had a medical report from an actual doctor that night, 
it might have provided proof of the ordeal. On the same note, it's infuriating that the police didn't insist she go to the hospital after hearing she'd been tied up for 15 hours. Yeah, so, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. There are a lot of things that I think we would have done differently and that we might have some regrets about, but, you know, we did the best that we could in the situation that we were facing. You know, my mom is, she's a tough lady. You know, she doesn't complain much, even when she's in tremendous amounts of pain. And her main thing at the time was just finding out what happened and who did this to my dad. You know, I'm not sure that they would have found much at the hospital. I mean, there's no way to confirm that a seizure has happened. And, you know, other than the bruising on her, her arms, um, possibly her ankles, um, I'm not sure what more they could have done for her, unfortunately. Yeah, it's also important to point out, too, that keep in mind, Sandy didn't know she was a suspect or that she was going to be a suspect. So, you know, when you're looking at this from the perspective of the prime suspect on the case, not going to get checked out, which maybe could have helped her case. That's not what this was at this point for her. She was just a woman who had been traumatized and attacked and locked up in a closet all night and came out to find out her husband was murdered. And so I've always kind of just took it as I try to think of myself in that situation where the, the last thing on my mind would be me and my well-being. I'd be much more concerned about the fact that in her case, that her husband was dead and trying to figure out what happened and who killed her husband. Exactly. And she she's always had so much trust in the police um, and law enforcement. And, you know, she really thought that they were on her side and they were going to to help her and be her advocates. And and I think it was a hard lesson for her, for all of us, really, to learn. But unfortunately, that just not how it panned out. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Britt says, was Jim's truck locked? Is it possible he had a garage door opener in the truck and that's how the intruders gained entrance into the home? Yeah, well, that's a really good question, and we brought this up before, but to reiterate the fact again, I cannot say that we know Jim's truck is locked, and I say that because it's not documented anywhere on, in the crime scene photos. There's photos of his truck, but there's never photos showing that the door is locked. There's nothing noted in Maurice Carpenter's report that he tried the lock or that he opened it or that he looked for any sign of forced entry into the truck, and then at trial uh, during cr- cross-examination, he was asked point blank, you know, how do you know it was locked? And he just kept avoiding the question. If you go back and read his testimony, he just says the door was locked. And Mac is asking, well, how do you know the door is locked? Did you take a photo of the door? Did you try the door? And he just kept saying the door was locked. The door was locked. So in my opinion, and some people might disagree with this, 
I cannot say with 100% assurity that the door was in fact locked because he couldn't describe, he didn't explain in his report, he didn't photograph it, and he couldn't explain how he knew it was locked. All he kept saying was that it was locked. And then what we do know is there absolutely was a, a clicker or a, a garage door opener button inside of Jim's truck. So if it wasn't locked, that is absolutely a way that the intruders could have, if his door happened to have been unlocked, could have opened it and pushed the button and raised the door up that way. Uh, and then the garage door opener, too. There's a lot of there's there's lots of possibilities out there as far as how that garage door got open. You know, We've talked about that maybe when Jim went to close it that he bumped the button. If you look at the garage door buttons uh, next to the door where he had been walking in, the door that they came in was the one on the left where Sandy's car was. If you reach from the doorway to that button to hit it, you have to reach across the button that would open the one on the right, the one that was was left open. And so some people have theorized maybe he reached across and went to hit the one on the left and actually hit both buttons, maybe bumped it with his arm or whatever, didn't hear it because as one was going down, one was going up. That's a possibility. It's a possibility that the intruders came in a different way and just used the garage door as an egress, which makes sense because when they came through the door, hit the closest button, it would open the one on the right. And then there's also ways out there. There's technology out there, even in 2012, more so than I think the doors are more secure now. But I was looking at the garage door, the photos of the garage door opener in the Melgar's garage. And it's the identical garage door opener that I have in my garage now. I mean, maybe it's different, but from the photos, it looks exactly alike. It's a Craftsman half horsepower garage door opener. Mine was put in my house when it was originally built in 1997. And so I assume, Liz, do you happen to know how old that house is? I know we can find that online, but off the cuff, I know your parents lived there for like six years. Yeah, I think it was built in 1999. Okay, so around there. So my guess would be, based on what I know about my own garage door opener, that garage door opener was probably installed in 1999. So it's a late 90s model. And there are devices out there, decoders and cloners, that can be used to open garage doors. And sometimes that could be the trigger for how someone's house gets robbed. They send out random codes. I, I've watched, it's been years, and I will do some more research on this and talk about it probably on a main episode because I'm kind of just working off memory and kind of off the cuff right now. But uh, I, I remember watching, uh, it was either a, a Dateline or a 2020 or, or maybe just a news special um, warning people about this, that these people, these thieves would just drive down the street with these devices and just keep hitting the button and hitting the button and hitting the button as they went to all the different, you know, around a neighborhood until one of the garage doors came up. And to combat that, the garage door uh, opener manufacturers created like random sequences where basically it's not the same code every time. Like every time you hit the button, it's sending a different code, something like that. But that technology came around probably around that time, but they, they still had devices that could beat that technology. So that's a possibility. There's lots of possibilities. But getting back to the question about the truck, we have no verification that the truck was locked. All we have is Maurice Carpenter's word saying that it was locked with the inability and the absence of documentation explaining how he knows that it was unlocked or that it was locked. Deidre says, did Sandy regularly leave her wedding ring in the drawer in the kitchen? If so, why did family or friends not check there for it before they reported it as something they believed had been stolen? Yeah, so my mom... She would regularly take the ring off when she was cooking um, and put it in there. But when I first came upon my mom, you know, she wasn't wearing it and I didn't ask her about it. I just, I just assumed that, you know, it had been taken. 
because all I knew is that this was a home invasion gone or a home robbery gone wrong. You know, that was my assumption and that was my mistake. And I should have asked her, but, you know, she was in shock. And like I said before, I didn't, it's not something that I wanted to question her about because this was so fresh and she was just so traumatized. You know, by the time that I got to the house, that wasn't even on my mind. You know, I I had already made a, a list of things that I believed could be missing and that I had been told by my mom's friends that picked her up were missing. And by that, I mean the 32-inch TV that was normally kept in their bath, in their bedroom. My focus when I got there was looking for obvious things. And to me, that was electronics and tools in the garage. But yeah, I, I, I don't know why. I guess, you know, I too was still in shock. And I guess I wasn't thinking as clearly as I should have been. Well, and again, this goes back to what we were saying earlier, that I don't think any of you were looking at it. And I could hear that in your interview with the police. You know, they had asked you over the phone to gather a list of things that were stolen. But you can hear your concern is for your mom and, and finding out who killed your dad. And you guys weren't really looking at this as though we need to prove there was a home invasion to prove that my mom didn't do this. And so the, it seemed to me as though figuring out what items were missing was kind of very low on the priority list for you guys at that point. Right. Yeah, I've never done this before, so it was a pretty steep learning curve. Jesse says, was Jim's blood tested for anything other than alcohol, like sleeping pills? Yeah, he had a full tox screed, uh, and we covered this in the autopsy episode, and of course the autopsy is posted on our website. But yeah, he was tested for alcohol, which was 0.06, and then a whole gamut of other types of drugs in the system. And his tox screen was 100% clean. The only foreign substance that was found in his blood at all was the alcohol. Julie says, I have two questions. One, do we know who cleaned the house after the murder? Friends or family? And two, did I hear Liz correctly when she said that she learned of her dad's murder from a friend? If so, do we know why it wasn't Sandy who told her? So Liz, it wasn't friends or family that cleaned the house, right? Didn't you guys have a service come in and clean it? Right. It was a professional crime scene cleaning service. Right. And which is pretty typical in, in situations like this. Yeah. In regards to the other part, yeah, yeah, I'll let you answer Liz too. But for me, that wasn't surprising to me at all because remember what was going on that night. So Sandy finds Jim. She's you know inconsolable there with Maria until law enforcement comes in and EMS you know quick checks her out. And then she's put into a car. And then she's interviewed. They have her cell phone. And and then she's taken down to the police station for an interview and interrogation, which goes on for hours. She doesn't get back until the middle of the night. So I don't think that it's odd at all that Sandy hadn't called yet at that point. She hadn't had, it sounds to me like she didn't get a second to really collect herself during all of that. She was, she was being treated as a suspect right from the very beginning. And Liz, you can add onto that anything you want, but that's just, that was just my kind of read on the situation. Right. I mean, I don't know when she would have had, when she would have had time. And there's even a part in her investigation, in her interrogation where she said, oh my God, how am I going to tell my daughter? My my cousin, Marissa, was the one that emailed me, asked, she tried to make it look like um, an innocuous email. So it was just like, it was just something about them having a question and that I really needed to call one of my cousins back right away. And of course, I ignored it because (laughs) I didn't really think it was anything important. Sorry, Marissa. (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, and plus you had what a six hour time difference too. Right. So it was, you know, fairly, I mean, I'm not gonna say early, 
nine, it was about like 9 a.m., 10 a.m. in the morning for me. So I think it was about 6 a.m. when I finally called one of my family members. And to be clear, you're, it, was, it would have been, what, 9, 10 p.m., right? Because they was found at four in the afternoon, six hours ahead. Right. But nobody called me until the, uh, at like 6 a.m. on the 24th. Oh, okay. Not till the, not till the next morning. Right. Or maybe it was 6 a.m. on the 23rd. It's hard to remember with all the time differences and everything. But um, yeah, I remember I called my cousin and it was about 6 a.m. for her in the morning after, after they had found my, my parents. Okay. Julie says, will we get to hear the police interviews with Liz's aunt and uncle? Yeah, we will. The issue is, so we have the transcripts of those interviews and we do have the audio of them now, but they're in Spanish. So I need to have a listener and that's, I think I actually have somebody lined up that said they would do it. I just haven't had time since I got back from the UK to shuffle all that around yet, but we need to have somebody translate it and then figure out how to put that out there. You know, to, it's, it seems like a lot to ask somebody else to re-record it in English. And then of course I want to put out the full Spanish version. So you guys have it. So ultimately what we'll end up doing is hopefully something like that. If we can get someone to do that, it's going to be a process. So they've got to transcribe it into English and then record it for you to hear it. And then we would play that and then also play the Spanish side of it. Or we may have somebody translate it into English and then just compare it to the transcripts to verify if the transcription was accurate because we know we've had a lot of transcription errors in a lot of other places and then play the the full Spanish version of it. We'll probably do it in like a bonus episode or something like that. Um, but so we just, yes, the answer, the short answer is yes, we are going to make those available for you guys to hear them. Uh, we're just trying to figure out the best way to go about doing that. Paula says, did Sandy take a polygraph? Yeah. So Sandy did eventually take a polygraph test. She voluntarily went in and took, took one with the Liz. It was the same polygraph examiner that was there that night. Right. Right. Yeah. So she went back in and the results were inconclusive, which is part of the reason why Sandy was concerned about taking it to begin with, with all of her meds and stress and everything that she was afraid she'd have a problem with it. And when she finally did take it, it was inconclusive, which means, you know, that they just weren't able to get a good baseline. Typically when you see an inconclusive polygraph result, it's when they can't even get a good reading from your baseline question. So like I would ask you, is your name Mike Bussing? And you'd answer yes. And it would, it would show on the polygraph like you're lying or, you know, which again, these aren't lie detector tests. The polygraph is testing uh, your respiration rate, your blood pressure. You know, there's three different elements of just anatomical things within your body, your pulse. And so when I'm asking you in, innocuous baseline questions and things are spiking all over the place, and then I'm asking you the relevant questions and it's spiking all over the place, but it's spiking all over the place the same way it did for the baseline questions. It's just a useless, useless test. So, and all we got from that is that it's, it was inconclusive. I was told that, or we were told that it was inconclusive because they wanted her to stop taking the phenobarbital because uh, I think it's considered a hypnotic. It's just because of the class of medication that it's in, that it could cause inconclusive results just because of how it affects the body. But, you know, obviously if she stops taking that, then she has seizures. So it wasn't a medication that she could stop taking just for the test. Oh, so she was still on that medication during the test. Right. Right. And so that could be a reason why, you know, you had those, those strange results that just mean nothing. And, and it happens often, you know, there's polygraphs aren't always real conclusive. 
And so, as a matter of fact, I was just watching uh, another recommendation. If you're looking for something to watch, uh, we're currently watching, Becky and I are watching An Innocent Man on Netflix, which is freaking phenomenal. We're uh, three episodes into that. But in that case, you see there's a couple of people that took polygraphs. And again, same thing. They were inconclusive. They just couldn't get anything out of them. All right. And our last question comes from Ben. In Liz's initial conversation with detectives, she mentioned that her last conversation with Sandra included confirmation of money being transferred to her. Was Jim aware of Sandra giving money to Liz? Yeah. So, um, you know, at the time I was being sent, uh, we were doing things a little bit differently and I was being sent lists of, you know, data entry, um, coding, things like that. And so I would keep track of how many, um, how many claims that I would complete. And then I would, you know, multiply that by the price that I was being paid. And then they would transfer that into my account. So there were times where I asked my dad to do it because my mom wasn't feeling well or I couldn't get a hold of her. I mean, it wasn't anything that we were hiding or that nobody knew about because it was all part of the business. Yeah. I mean, it was your job. That was essentially your paycheck. Right. Right. Okay. And I think we're going to end things right there. We did want to let you guys know we do have a brand new episode coming out on Sunday in two days. Next week, however, we will be off. So there will be no Truth and Justice episode next week, which would be the 28th and the 30th of Friday and Sunday. However, we do have a special treat for you. We have a brand new NBI show here at NBI Studios. The show is not brand new. They actually have 12 episodes out already. Uh, But it's a show that we think you guys are really going to love. It's called Disgruntled Moms. And it's hosted by five ladies who discuss things that moms are disgruntled about. And it's effing hilarious. And they just talk about some real issues. So uh, I haven't talked about it much since they went live. And so I'm going to be releasing on our feed on the 30th an episode, my favorite episode of Disgruntled Mom. So you guys have something to listen to over the holidays uh, while we're taking our week off. And which, of course, we really appreciate you guys giving us the opportunity to breathe a little bit especially after all the travel we had these last couple of months so that'll be coming up very soon on the 30th you'll be hearing an episode of the disgruntled moms on our feed and i hope you all check it out And if you love it you can go over and uh and uh subscribe on their feed and last but not least make sure you tune in this sunday because as we've been doing as i told you this process is going to be going we evaluate the evidence we look at the state's case And we give an analysis and then we bring in experts to try to give us a third party analysis from someone who has no connection to the case whatsoever, you know, because because it could be said at this point that, you know, maybe I'm too invested or I'm too biased in the case. So we bring in some experts. And as we always do, we try to get the best of the best. And one of the things that's been stated repeatedly by the prosecutor and by the very vocal jury foreman is that Sandy Melgar changed her story throughout her interrogation, and her interrogation is unbelievable. So I disagreed, but I thought, who the hell am I? So I thought, who could we possibly get to give a really good look at that interrogation, to watch the video and listen to it and give us their opinion if they think Sandy's changing her story and if she lied? So I thought, hey, why not see if we can get the guy who caught the Unabomber through forensic linguistics to analyze this interview? And that's Jim Fitzgerald, and that's in two days on Truth and Justice. I also kind of wanted to just put out there, um, so the Sunday is December 23rd. 
and it's um, six years since, you know, we lost my dad and let's just hope that next year we, um, you know, we can bring my mom home and find some justice. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Thank you to Amanda Meyer with Willow Photo and Design for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. Our banner images and type font across all of our logos was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Britta Bliss, Sarah Colby, Rachel Timberman, and Liz Rose. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to Patreon.com slash TruthAndJustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $1 per month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. But the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. Like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at truthjusticepod, and my personal Twitter handle is at bobruftruth. And for more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at truthjusticepod. And don't forget, we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on the case. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Say goodbye to the dish and hello to Sky Stream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession, as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus, and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next day delivery with no upfront fee. Sky Stream, TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Requires Sky Stream and broadband minimum speed, 10 megabits per second, 18-month minimum term. Cut-off times apply for next day delivery. Excludes bank holiday. 18 plus, terms apply.